What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately, and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. With us today is Stephen Morris, a brand and culture advisor, author, and speaker. He works with business leaders to mine, articulate, and activate their driving belief system to create organizational integrity, evolve leaders, connected cultures, and unignorable brands. He's the president of Matter Consulting and the author of The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create to create an unignorable business with love at the core. We'll be talking about beautiful business, evolved leaders, and business brand. He joins us today from San Diego, California. Stephen, welcome to Working On Purpose. Oh, thank you, Elise. It's such a pleasure to be here and have this conversation with you. I'm very excited. Me too. I just need to share you with listeners around the world. This message is so profound and so important and so timely. And your book, of course, it's so beautiful, Stephen. Here it is. Let me show it to our viewers. This is what it looks like, the beautiful business. I read it, of course, cover to cover. And I, I want to dive in here, this first part, to actually talk about what we mean by or what you mean by beautiful business. So if we can, maybe the best way to start, I thought, is to have you open with the comparison and contrast. You talk about two distinct companies that you worked with early on in your book. And I think if we contrast those, we can start to distill more of the essence of this conversation. So can you tell us about those two companies? Yeah, well, I can, uh, I'll, I'll tell about the companies. I won't mention the company names. That'd be great. In, 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 the, uh, in the book, I, I call it the Monday client and the Tuesday client story. And, and they're real <laughs> stories, but uh, uh, I don't uh, call out their names because, um, you know, it, they're really anecdotes for the way a business can operate. And really, they're anecdotes for and really even metaphors for how one set of leadership team can actually approach the work at hand. And in this case, it was brand evolution work and a little bit of culture work and how another leadership team can uh, approach them very differently. So the quick story behind it is the Monday client. And it's worth saying that they were both in more or less the same industry, the financial services industry that they happen to be in. They were on different coasts. One was on the West Coast, one was on the East Coast. And, you know, the things that they had in common is that they both have a national presence and they both handled lots of people's money, other people's money, and there was a lot of things at stake in what they were doing. So the Monday client is essentially, it's a it's a tale where the client leadership team really didn't have what I would call evolved leadership. They were really out for one another, sometimes gunning for one another, out for other people's jobs within the organization. 
organizations. They were not in it for the collective whole. They were, you know, there was a system, essentially a top-down management system. And uh, there was a lot of confusion, chaos, and uh, dysfunction amongst the team. And in contrast, uh, the Tuesday client, uh, which was the following week, and, and I tell the story through the, through the lens of uh, presentations of um, essentially findings, reports for both clients that happened a week apart on different sides of the coast. The Tuesday client had a completely different way of operating within their business. The leaders on that particular team were conscientious and thoughtful. They didn't deploy what we would call this command and control, a top-down uh, sort of management system and how they worked. And because of that, the outcomes, the level of contribution, the level of creativity, the level of openness, even the sense of belonging amongst that leadership team uh, was exponentially higher. And in the in the story, I, I tell about not just the my experiences with you know here's the contrast between these two different leadership groups, but here's the contrast in not only how they approached the work, but even in the exponential outcomes that the Tuesday client received over the Monday client. So, very quickly, I'll just cover this. The Monday client took significantly longer to realize even less outcomes than the Tuesday client did, and they did so with massive turnover. The Monday client had big turnover on their leadership team. There was infighting. They actually spent more money achieving less results than the Tuesday client did. And the Tuesday client achieved those results in half the amount of time that the Monday client did. So it was an eye-opening experience for me to have those two, frankly, juxtaposed experiences with two clients that were in more or less the same industry, but they had completely different leadership styles, completely different cultures, and completely different ways of working with one another, and even uh, driving towards what they even considered what were outcomes and measurements. Uh, I could go into a lot more detail, and I want to be careful not to... to uh, unveiled too much about the the downsides of the Monday client and really spotlight on the upsides of the Tuesday client. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I just thought that was a great place to start because it helps our listeners and viewers just kind of get right into the, the space of business and how does it manifest and how does it show up. And so real live examples to open the space to start. And then I want to talk about um, some of the principles of beautiful business as you describe them in your book. And for you, listeners and viewers, why I think this is so important is you know, what Stephen has put forth, in my view, is really an invitation for all of us to be able to to be more creative and intentional, to rise our intentions, to be able to create a business that has even more beautiful impact than if we just go out to try to just make money. And so, um, if you would, Stephen, talk to us about at least just a few of the, of the principles, the ones that, you're, you, you, that maybe are closest to your heart. Yeah, so there's really four core tenets to the beautiful business that I believe are really important uh, to employ and, and really corral around within the organization. And the first, uh, it's probably fairly obvious to a lot of people that this first tenant it really has to do with leadership and it's what I call evolved leadership. And this is where leaders become self-aware individuals uh, or they are self-aware individuals and by self-awareness i mean that they have both the internal version and the external version of self-awareness uh, internal side of self-awareness means that they have a clear understanding of what their motivations are what their drivers are what their values are what even their purpose is and the external side of the self-awareness has to do with they're very clear that they how they affect the people around them and so in their the way they go about leading 
they understand how the team is responding to them. They understand sort of the psychological mindset of the team around them. And they're being very thoughtful about how they affect the environment that they're putting themselves into. We can, you know, there's a lot of science behind things like co-regulation and self-regulation and self-aware leaders, because they have this strong sense of internal and external self-awareness, they really understand how to create a great environment for people to thrive in. So that's the first tenet is what I call evolved leadership. The second tenet is what I call belonging. Now, a lot of people talk about belonging. I don't, it's not my word. Everybody uses it. Brene Brown, I think, is the queen of belonging in, in our sort of, uh, in, our, in our culture and society these days. But it really, it really talks about how the company and how the individuals within the organization, how they bond with the people. And this could be the employee side of the organization, or it could be the customer side, or it could even be considering how the investors or the community or even partners within the organization, how they belong to what we're doing. And belonging, I, I believe, happens when we create this sense of psychological safety within the organization. And that's, I believe, starts with the leadership role, but then it's continued throughout the entire team that they have to actually carry that mantle forward. And then they have a, a clear operationalized system of how we communicate, how we treat one another within the organization. And when the, this fusion of psychological safety and this clear sort of operationalized system can create this operationalized system or operating system, if you will, of belonging both inside and outside. So when we think about how does how do things like customer service happen like in what we call CX and then employee experience happen, when we have belonging in the organization, we can have a cultural sense of belonging for the employee experience. And we have when we have belonging on the customer side of things, we can have a customer experience sense of belonging where the customer feels like they are actually joining the brand that they're buying from instead of just purchasing or having transactions. So I, I think this attribute of belonging is really important. And then so belonging is the second attribute. The third attribute is what I call magnetism. And this is really on the external side of the world where we stop, we get out of the business of chasing customers and we actually act like the flame and not the moth where we stop chasing customers out in the world and we invite them in and we invite them in through this attribute of belonging because we in some way, shape or form have articulated from a brand standpoint, here's what we believe here's what our value system is and here's how we live up to that in the products and or services that we create and how customers respond to that. They say, I want to be part of that. They don't just buy from the brand, they actually join the brand. Mm -hmm. So that's magnetism. And then the last element is this sort of the full encompassing when all cylinders are happening within the organization and its integrity. So that which happens on the inside of the organization, our belief systems, our behaviors, and even how we treat one another within the organization, as well as how we treat our customers and the environment and our community and social justice issues, things of that nature, all of those things have an integral system to them. So it, it, it begins with evolved leadership, it goes into belonging, and then it goes into magnetism and integrity. And those are the four key pillars or tenets that I tend to hit on throughout the beautiful business. Mm -hmm. Well said, Stephen. Thank you. That just really opened a space for us. That was great. 
Okay, and then next if we can, because I think a lot of people who haven't been consuming this kind of space like I have or haven't read, read your book yet cover to cover like I have, don't still quite understand what we mean by beautiful business. So some of the principles that you use in your book to describe it, like you do say things like, you know, work with beauty. And for those of you who are watching this program, the painting behind Stephen, he painted that. He's an artist as well. So some of these principles work with beauty, um, integrate your worlds, live and work with soul, um, allow love to show up in your business. These are some of the beautiful principles that you show that you talk about. And as you and I said before we got on air, are not articulated in today's business world. Yeah, so much to go into there. Uh, so, <laughs> so much opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, let, let's talk about what I mean by beauty first, because, you know, in, in our Western culture, we tend to think about beauty as this superficial adornment of things, uh, how something looks. And in the world of business, we would tend to think about that as how the business looks. And part of the intent by writing the book was a reclamation, a reclaiming of the definition of beauty into the felt sense of beauty, the things that we can experience, even having senses of transcendence and awe. So when I'm thinking about beauty, I'm thinking about how something feels or how you experience something. And so now all of a sudden, when you begin to think about that from the context of a business, all of a sudden, our entire sensory system could be enlivened, not just our eyes, the way something looks, but our heart and our soul and our passion and the things that we've learned to love in this life, which includes how we deploy and how we employ service to humanity and to one another. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about business as an act of service, we're actually thinking about it from the, from the standpoint of, if I'm here to create a business, and here I'm thinking about from the entrepreneurial lens, I'm thinking about, obviously it's gotta be a sustainable business, so it's gotta make profit, or if it's a nonprofit, it's gotta have enough financial flow to be in business and serve people tomorrow. But that isn't why you should build a business. So then it leads to the question, which is, if I'm in the business of serving and whatever, however I define that for my customers and for my employees, all of a sudden I can ignite a level of passion that goes into this sense of service that I'm contributing to something greater than myself. So when we think about everyone uh, as, we, as we have reached a level of um, uh, safety, security, even abundance in westernized culture, all of a sudden we begin to look around and say, okay, now with this precious time on this planet, this beautiful life that I've been given and the precious gift of life, what then will I do with it? What then, will, how then will I serve as an entrepreneur or if I'm a leader at any level within the organization, how will I serve the purpose at hand and the customers and what we're looking to, to solve and help, help serve for them in, in whatever shape or form and whatever, whatever the business leader defines that to be. So when we put passion, we put love, and we put love inside the business, all of a sudden it can then be this act of beautiful service that people then feel within the organization and they can feel it as customers as well. So one of the big mantras that I have within the book, and it's even sort of the biggest mantra that I use within my consulting practice is there's nothing more powerful than a united group of souls ignited in a common cause with love at the core. So when you think about that sentence as an invitation and you break it down into there's nothing more powerful than a united group of souls. 
When we bond together, we as human beings are better for it. And when we're contributing to something larger than ourselves, which is this common cause that we have in hand and in businesses, I tend to call that a purpose, then all of a sudden we can become this unified front that makes for this unignorable force. And all of a sudden we become very attractive. And so that's the aspect of beauty, this 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 thing that we human beings really have no defenses for, which is the true felt sense of beauty. And it's unignorable in our world. You know, if you know, if you have kids, the, the newborn uh, face of your baby or even your, your grandchildren or whatever, the, the feeling of a sunset or even in a business meeting where you're tapping into this sense of connection with the team of people around you and the innovation that you're coming up with on behalf of the service that you're providing to them. That can enliven our heart, it can enliven our soul, and it can enliven our lives and the lives of everyone surrounded with the business. I well, That was beautifully generated. I'm 100% agree with everything you said. And I want to give us take us into our first break. And after the break, I want to give an example of what I think is a beautiful business and see what you think. So I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're here with Stephen Morris. He's the president of Matter Consulting and the author of The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. We've been talking a bit about what makes for a beautiful business. After the break, we're going to talk about evolved leadership. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Before we get back to the program, I would like to invite you to check out my book. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon now. I wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. I use the content as a basis for my Vitally Inspired Leadership Program and the Grab Beer Gusto Program. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Stephen Morris. He's a brand and culture advisor, author, and speaker. He works with business leaders to mine, articulate, and activate their driving belief system to create organizational integrity, evolved leaders, connected cultures, and unignorable brands. He helps human-centered and future-ready organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So the example that I'd like to share with you that I think comprises a beautiful business so that we can go from the conceptual for the listeners and viewers to the more, the more practical and tangible uh, I had on my radio program a woman named um, Brittany Merrill um, some years ago. She she created the Acola Project. I know it's evolved since then. I'm not going to get all the details right, but the gist is something like this. She graduated SMU. She found herself. She wanted to go to Af- Africa and do some help. She goes to Africa, and she sees all this need and all of these people that are doing such important things just to kind of keep people together. She's like, i gotta do, I got to help. i got to do something to help. So she finds a way to be able to start to get the women to make jewelry there in Africa. And she pays them for that. So they, that, they now have currency. They have money. They have, a, they, have a, they have a wage. She brings that jewelry back to the United States. She then 
assembles a group of women who have actually been trafficked. She gets them out of traf trafficked mm -hmm. situations. She then pays them a living wage to then add in more like jewels and other fine sort of gems to be able to increase the value and beauty of, of that jewelry. She then goes to Neiman Marcus as her distribution channel and sells to Neiman Marcus and makes her profits, then uses those profits to be able to come back to do projects back in Africa, like building schools and building dams, et cetera. In my mind, that is a beautiful business. Oh, all day long. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. And, you know, one of the things that I love about that particular anecdote and story is that, you know, this person saw both a challenge and an opportunity within it and deployed her own version of what we call or what I would call business artistry and thought about, you know, this precious thing that we call imagination, leaned into her own imagination and asked herself, well, what can I do here? How can I serve? How can I help this situation, remedy this situation? And, you know, serve the lives of these people who, uh, not, not just the people who are doing the work and putting the jewelry together and, 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 but also the customers who are receiving it. And those people I would imagine that receive the goods and services that are provided within that. And if they understand the story behind it, all of a sudden they have this direct connection to the people behind the business. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we've transcended beyond this world of transactions and in the world of connection. And the, there's now belonging that is created between these two entities. On one end of the entity is the organization that is creating the, the beautiful artifacts and the other side is the receiver of that, of those entities and the artifacts and how they feel about what they're contributing to. And when they go out into the world and, and, you know, adorn themselves with the beautiful products, all of a sudden they become enlivened and they're carrying that story forward. I, I think that, um, you know, the, one of the most advanced and overlooked technologies that we have in our world today and it will continue to always be the most advanced technology is our ability to tell stories mm -hmm. you think about like what what like the power of a story no war ever started without a story no <laughs> no, no political crisis ever started without a story and no solution was ever remedied without uh, changing that story or remedying that story or healing the story that happened before. So the story that you just told there is a blessed one. It's a beautiful one. And uh, and certainly it's a beautiful business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought you were going to say when you said tool, I thought you were going to say mouth. But storytelling certainly works. Um, <laughs> and, and this, what you're talking about, leads just beautifully into the next topic we wanted to get into with the segment, and that's evolved leadership. And so one of the things I want to just share directly from your book that I think just is gorgeous and opens the space perfectly, you say leadership, leadership is defined more by mindset of responsibility than by title, role, or years of experience. Leadership sees what's possible and aligns the mastered or practiced kits or parts and manageable forces to make it happen. Evolving leaders are alchemists of possibility. Oh, that's gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for for reading that. It's 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 kind of funny to hear your words back back to you. Yeah, that's a, a, a couple of nice sentences there. And uh, I do believe that they are alchemists or possibilities, or at least, you know, one that is evolved leaders. When we, you know, through the story that you just told, you know, when an organization or, or a leader sees an opportunity out there, sees a, a possibility out there, um, we then lean into this beautiful gift of human imagination. Mm -hmm. And we can think about the, the most powerful, most valuable, most precious 
businesses on the planet all began with an idea. Somebody out of a garage tinkering with uh, components or, you know, Yvonne Chouinard uh, at Patagonia where he was starting to develop, you know, different climbing gear that was what he called clean climbing gear. You think about how Hewlett Packard began, how Apple began. You know, these people just, they began to play with things out of their garage or ideas that came from their mind and they began to make those things happen. And all, all of a sudden, not overnight, of course, they become some of the most powerful, beautiful, uh, amazing um, products and businesses on the planet. And I think it is this precious gift that we have of the imagination, our ability to see the possibilities in front of us that can both create, you know, certainly creates some very negative things in our world, but it also can create remedies and antidotes for the things that currently ail us. And uh, my invitation for those that might be out there listening who might have uh, an entrepreneurial set of lenses that they're thinking about, I, my invitation would be to look at a problem that you feel you can bring solutions to and pull your full imaginative artistry into that set of solutions so it can serve a greater number of people and remedy or heal whatever needs to be remedied or healed. And I actually believe that you know, part of the role of leader is actually healer. Especially in corporate America these days, where you know we we're coming out of a, I believe a, a time frame where we have this top-down leadership, command and control style of leadership, and I think in a decade from now, maybe sooner, that will be uh, out the door. Uh, people will no longer, and maybe we're seeing in the Great Resignation right now, they're leaving organizations that you know people are not welcoming their full self to the work to work or to to a business and people want to belong to something that's larger than themselves mm -hmm. and so this beautiful attribute of you know leadership alchemy and even the attribute of healer as leader or leader as healer begins with healing one's self and this is what i talk about when we think about evolved leadership and those people who have leadership responsibility, let's just call it that. And that could be anyone from, you know, the CEO or of an organization or uh, the middle manager of an organization or a solopreneur or an intern that it's in charge of the holiday party. They're all leaders within their their own domain because they're, they've taken up or have been assigned with a set of responsibilities. And this act of imagination begins with healing oneself and then through the auspices of when you come at the world with this sense of peace and healing and wholeness, then all of a sudden the world around you becomes to adapt to that. And, you know, we call this co-regulation in, in the physical world space in the, or in the somatic space. But there's tons of science behind how this happens right now. And so the role as leader, as healer, and even the role of leader as artist, I think is uh, absolutely the way people should be, I believe, thinking about what leadership responsibility is. Mm -hmm. What a great invitation. And to take it further, because I'm sure there are people that are going, okay, great, great, great. I'm convinced. How do I become an evolved leader? And so <laughs> one of the things that you say in the book so beautifully is you say evolving or evolved leaders have likely experienced some sort of awakening or turning point. They may have been confronted with a serious life circumstance, death, divorce, disaster, or some version of failure, and emerged more committed and more lucid in their knowing of why they are here, what they are here to do with their life. Yeah, I think it can happen that way. And I've seen it just as often in the other way where people have realized the sense of mastery over their world. 
and have achieved a level of success. And uh, as David Brooks called it in his book, The Second Mountain, they've climbed the first mountain, which is the mountain of success. And they've looked at the viewpoint from that from that perspective and said, is this all there is? And then all of a sudden, one begins to ask deeper questions about, okay, this can't be all there is. And I have a sense of mastery and I even have a sense of agency over my world. What next? What else can I raise my hand to? And how can I do what Maslow talked about and go in into the evolution of the hierarchy of needs where our base needs of safety, psych, psychological needs are met, our sense of belonging, we have love in our life. And all of a sudden, we've also gained a certain level of mastery over what we do in our domain and the world that we live in. And we take our gifts and we begin to apply them as a gift out into the world and a service to humanity. And so I think it's a very fair question to ask yourself, based on the unique genius or the unique set of skills or mastery that I have, regardless of what level of leadership role you might have, how can I apply them for the greatest good of humanity and the people around me? And the beautiful thing about beauty is it's subjective. And the beautiful thing even about that particular question is it's only answerable by the individual who is asking the question of themselves. But it does begin with asking or giving yourself permission to ask that question and even to dream that other future opportunity into being, which is what we call imagination. Mm. You know, and what a, what a great invitation, right? I guess what I would say to that, Stephen, is that to further extend it and again, bring it to a place where people can also access it um, even more, maybe more, more readily is, you know, this notion of just knowing there's so much more you can do than is sitting right in front of you. If only you will employ your imagination, extend yourself and lead from soul, from heart, and just to see what does the world need? What can you do to help the world? And so what I really appreciate about your notion of evolved leadership is that it is it is the invitation for us to, to bring forth. You, you say something about calling the better angels of our nature, which I know from your book is a reference to Abraham Maslow's um, inaugural address. But calling uh, Abraham for Lincoln. Sorry, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Excuse Lincoln. me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You did put that in there, and I said that wrong. Yeah. Um, but that that is a beautiful way to to think about it. Calling for the better angels of our nature, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think a lot uh, as as I began to write the book, and and you know, it was a couple of year journey about the times that we're living in. And uh, it's worth saying that I wrote a lot of the book, um, or at least the beginning stages of the book came in probably 2017, 2018 timeframe. And then uh, a lot of the writing happened during COVID. So here we were in a world of crisis, COVID related crisis, uh, I think, you know, in here in the US um, and I think other parts of the globe, I believe that we're in a societal crisis of us versus them-ness and even the crisis of the distractions that we have through both our work and our social media and the way that we absorb all kinds of um, mass media. You know, the ability to be simply present for family members is a very, very difficult thing in this day and age, Uh, let alone the ability to have conversations with people who might not be of the same faith or the same political affiliation. And what happened? What happened to our humanity? Why, why, why did we lose our way? And so this, this better, better angels of our nature, I think invites us to rise above the 
petty grievances that we have in the day in and day out issues. And some of them are not petty. I, I understand that there are very, very significant social issues, which would include DEI and JEDI type of issues, uh, inclusion, diversity, things of that nature. They are, these are real issues in our society. And I believe business leaders have the opportunity to rise above those things and tap into their own better angels of their nature and deploy these acts of imagination to begin to heal, not just themselves, their family, their work environment, and the world of their customers. And I think this is this is sort of the time that we're living in. I believe this is the mantle and the opportunity, the steering wheel that all business leaders can potentially grab the hold of and shape a future destiny that we're heading into. And not the least of which, uh, which I should have mentioned this, is the, 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 the global crisis of our environment. You know, it, we have to get away from using resources as if they're only resources that can be just destroyed and depleted and not regained for future purposes. We have to think about our natural world around us and the beauty of nature, quite frankly, and how that enlivens all of us from a human standpoint. And that also taps into the better angel, angels of our nature, is to lean into the natural world. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, Stephen, and I will so help you along that journey. So we'll together steward, help steward the world and bring, a, bring it up. Let's grab our last break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Stephen Morris. He's the president of Matter Consulting and the author of The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. We've been talking this segment about evolved leadership. On the last segment, we're going to talk about business brand. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other bit of news I want to share with you is that uh, in August of this year, 2021, I also put out my second book. It's an anthology this time. And this is where I went traipsing across the world and I found 25 women to share their, their intimate stories of how they've discovered their purpose and how they're now serving from it. So it's incredibly inspirational and I'm so proud of it. I could bust. It's called uh, Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mightily to live their purpose. You can find that on Amazon as well. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Stephen Morris. He's a brand and culture advisor, author, and speaker. He works with business leaders to mine, articulate, and, and activate their driving belief system to create organizational integrity, evolve leaders, connected cultures, and unignorable brands. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last bit here, now we get to really come directly into your space, Stephen, and that's the world of brand. 
and a few things I also want to call back out that I think are just gloriously beautiful about how you write. You say, a beautiful business is a journey, a way of doing business, instigated by the leaders or leadership teams awakening to an evolved brand. In order to evolve toward a beautiful business, you need to understand both the relationship between a business and a brand. It's my belief that the two are inseparable. Yeah, yeah. So the way I tend to think about and talk about brand, uh, and it's probably worth saying that I tend to think about all business from a humanistic psychology perspective. So I like it. Yeah, one of the one of the ways that I tend to describe brand, which is I think pretty different than most of the other sort of brand experts that exist out in the world, is your brand is your is your character and your character is your brand. You know, a lot of people talk about archetypes and personas and things like that. And and I think that's fine and good. I think, you know, there there's a purpose for having archetypical work uh, that leans into the union archetypes that happen. And I think that that certain team members and teams can have that. But the reason I think character is more a, a better or more apropos way of describing what a brand is, is it becomes a character comes from your belief system. And so, you know, if we if we take business is a metaphor and we say, I don't know, let's say Patagonia, for instance, is an individual. And we know our friend Patagonia because we hang out with Patagonia, we, we hang out with their products, we, we understand what they believe from protecting natural resources, and you know, we understand their political activism, we understand how, where they source their materials and things like that. We begin to then understand what the character of that entity is like. And that character comes from the actionable beliefs shown up every day, day in and day out, in all their decisions, in all their behaviors, as much as we can possibly live up to them. So then we ask ourselves, where do beliefs come from within the organizational life? So are, what are, how does an organization begin to form its beliefs about why it exists, what it does, how it serves the world, how it produces its products and or services, how it treats its team and, and things of that nature. So now, when that organization shows up in a in a in a predictable way, we then have a sense of character. So we'll go back to what I was just talking about. Where do those beliefs come from? What are those beliefs? So it begins from my perspective with purpose. Purpose is the reason that a business exists beyond simply making money or making profit. And I'm not not an advocate. I'm a huge advocate for making profit. It's a non-negotiable attribute of doing business. It allows you to be in business tomorrow and to serve more people. And by the way, profit is the avenue for all innovation. So the more extra income you have, the more you can innovate. And the more you can innovate, the more you can serve your customers and your employees in better and greater ways. But purpose is not just about making money. And if your business is only in business for the purpose of making money and or profit, you are likely going to be exposed for that at some point and you will likely have decisions that lead you down some pretty dark alleys. So I believe organizations should look very closely what we do corporate soul searching and ask themselves the question, why beyond profit are we here? What are we looking to accomplish that is a big, hairy, audacious goal that is going to change the world or at least the world of our customers and ideally the world of our employees? So it begins with purpose, then it goes into vision. The connected part of vision is, a, is a, an extension of purpose, which is how does the world begin to look like as we go about achieving our purpose? If it's a purpose, it's got to be big enough that it's never really done because there's always more people to serve. 
and then the this vision is how the world begins to look like so we can have different measurement systems within that and we can have different markers over different periods of time i love working with organizations that have audacious purposes mm-hmm. uh, or excuse me audacious visions or audacious purposes and, and audacious visions like a hundred year vision so it might feel incredibly audacious for some organizations to set out in a hundred years from now our vision for our business and the world around us, the world that we're affecting is going to look like this. And I work with three businesses right now that have been in business for more than 75 years. And I'm happy to say that I've helped them, a couple of them shape future visions that go out just as far as they've been in business. But you can be a startup and still have a hundred year vision. It's totally okay to do that. So, So purpose and then vision. And then core values are the operating system to a culture. So this is the core values define what our belief systems are in action. They define how we hold each other accountable for communication, for how we treat one another, for how we serve people. And it becomes the operating system because it's not just a set of uh, stated values that sit on some conference room wall, but they have to be lived. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can cultivate core values. One of the ways that I love doing it with organizations is to ask them to tell me the stories of their people at their best that we would like to exemplify going forward. And typically there's heroic stories that exist within organizations that we can identify and say, oh, this story, this story, and this story are the kinds of stories that we wanna be telling a hundred years from now. What are the attributes that went into the character that created those stories that we can deconstruct and say, these are the things that we want to cheerlead. These are the things that we want to celebrate within our team and with our culture. And then, be able to, the, the other thing that I love doing, and this is sort of a tip for anyone out there, if, if you're thinking about how do you activate core values, is you can turn them into questions. So, uh, you know, if you have a core value that has to do with, I don't know, let's say innovation at, at, at some level, you could ask you, you could, you could reshape that core value question or a core value statement into a question that says, are we being innovative enough? Or what does innovation look like in this moment? So in that particular scenario, we could say innovation looks like a spirited, open-minded, curious conversation in a business meeting. It could look like serving customers in a very different way by getting innovative about how do we solve the problem that they're coming to coming to us with in a customer service situation it could it could look like how do we get innovative in terms of how do we onboard new team members or interview new team members and so these questions should help people make decisions throughout the organization but they're all connected to the core values and the behavior system that we want to see consistently modeled And again, this goes back to character. So character is connected to the core values, which is connected to the purpose. And then the last attribute, uh, which I think is really important to talk about, is the stated promise. Or or in the world of business, there could be multiple promises. Uh, Typically, there's two promises that that an organization can make. One is an external promise to a set of customers. And a valuable promise is broken down into three different levels, one of which is, is it explicitly stated? Are we actually stating the promise? Because it's not a promise if we don't don't actually say it out loud. Secondarily, it's got to be valuable for the customer. So there's got to be something in it for them. And thirdly, I believe there has to be some accountability 
some way to measure to the extent that we're living up to the promises that we're stating to people. So that's the external promise, but there could also be internal promises, promises that we make to one another within the organization. And I believe those things should have also the same three attributes, which has to do with, we have to explicitly state it, it's got to be valuable for the people, and we have to hold our, ourselves accountable for living up to it so we measure it. Mm, there was so much in that. Uh, I yeah, want to I, I acknowledge you for using a very important four-letter word, and that's soul. Remember we talked about that? So I appreciate yeah. very much that you just wove that right in there so beautifully, Stephen. And then if we could go on here, and we're, we're coming to the close of the show here, I want to just let you talk a little bit to the, the invitation you've given us. And that you say, you say um, your invitation is, my friends, um, this book and implications for the beautiful business within it is an invitation for a reclamation. What reclamation? Yeah, I think the, and I'm about to pen an article on this, I think you, the, and the title of the article will likely be something along the lines of the death of corporate America. And I think, you know, it's time to reclaim uh, business as a dirty word. I think, you know, the, the, the societal perspective that most people have on large institutions, including very big businesses and, and, and uh, you know, government and things like that, our skepticism for big business has dwindled, mostly because of the nefarious behavior of certain organizations over time. And I think it's time for reclaiming what a beautiful business or what business can actually be for our sense of humanity and reclaim that in action. And I believe in doing so, it will begin to reshape our society. It will begin to reshape the social social justice and, and elements of, of um, equity and diversity within not just our society, but in our workforces. And I think it will begin to also reclaim our relationship with the na our natural resources and, and the environment. And I believe a beautiful business needs to operate on all those cylinders. And with all of this deserves a reclamation. All of this deserves redefining. And by the way, folks, this has happened over time. You know, capitalism is a relatively new invention of human beings. So it is then up to us to reinvent or reshape or reclaim what a culture, what a society can look like based on our our previous form of capitalism. And that can change. It's, it can certainly change, but it's really up to us. It's up to the people of our generation to, to step up and serve that mantle, to understand that this is our responsibility and stop looking around at other people around us and saying, oh, when are they gonna fix it? By the way, folks, they is us. When we think about the world out there and we blame them for whatever our plight is, we're part of that. And so especially people who have a business leadership role, they are us. And so now it's the time to, to reclaim all that and to right the ship. Sounds good to me, Stephen. I'm in. Let's do it together. I, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show, for being findable. When I reached out to you, I said, you absolutely simply must come on the Working in Purpose show. And you said, okay, I'll do it. So thank you for saying yes, for dancing with me, for sharing your beautiful message, Steve. I'm so happy to know you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This has been a great conversation. And at least the work that you're doing in the world is just incredibly beautiful. I applaud everything that you're doing. And we are comrades in arms. We are in, we in the are. same boat together. And I'm cheering you on for everything that you're doing and no doubt everything that your show and your work stands for. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate that. We are comrades in arms, and I'm happy to, to be in your company and to be in service with you. So listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Stephen and the work that he's doing or his book, the best place to start is his website. It's Matter. 
matterco.co. So it's M-A-T-T-E-R-C-O dot C-O. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it. We recorded a podcast. We were on the air with Nicolay Chen Nielsen, who is the co-author of Return on Ambition, a radical approach to your achievement, growth, and well-being. We talked about what we can learn about our own ambition and how we can optimally manage it, the value of listening to the voice of the employee, and creating work environments where ambitious people actually thrive. Next week, we'll be on the air with Greg Milano, author of Curing Corporate Short-Tourism. Short-Tourism. Short-Termism is a hard word to say. Um, Future growth versus current earnings. We'll be talking about this idea as a basis for creating sustainable value that benefits all stakeholders. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, and let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.